0: Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. Are you ready for the word? It's good. Love it. I've been enjoying our little series that we're in right now, Following Jesus. Um, Yep, up there it is. And we uh, have been walking through the Gospel of John. And today we're going to dive into chapter 5 of the of John's Gospel. And so if you've got your bubbles here this morning, I encourage you to open it up. We're going to have just some reading of the Word here today. And uh, it's a sacred moment when we can actually come around and actually read the Word together. And uh, and I'm going to read that out in just a moment. And where we pick it up is that um, Jesus, he, we're going to talk about His third recorded miracle here today. Uh, He's already gone through and turned water into wine. Uh, Who knows, that would have been a pretty cool party to be at, uh, when he turned water into wine. Um, And Jesus has also then gone and healed an official's son. And this is a pretty cool story, because he wasn't even with the son. It'd be like someone coming to me, let's say I'm Jesus just for a second, uh, comes to Jesus, and hey, my son's in Parramatta, can you heal him? And Jesus says, he'll be healed. And by the time that this official gets back to Parramatta, he finds that his son has been healed. And so God's moving. Jesus is moving in the time right now. And we're going to pick up from the third particular miracle here in John, uh, John chapter 5. And so if you've got your Bibles again, why don't you turn there with us here today it says, afterward Jesus returned from Jerusalem, he had been in Galilee um, but he's come back to, for Jerusalem because there's one of the, uh, to attend one of the Jewish holy days. And I love the, the Jewish customs, they had all these different holy, um, holy days and festivals that, that would come and they'd come together and be able to celebrate and praise God and worship God and uh, you know, one such one was a, was, a, was the Passover that would come um, but they were always partying, they were always getting around food and always having a good time and that's the kind of thing I really enjoy as well. And it says, inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of bethesda with five covered porches crowds of sick people blind lame and paralyzed they laid on these porches and this morning we're going to look at it in terms of a little bit of the context of this here in a little bit of time and it says one of the men one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years a little bit of context i'm in the last week now of my 38th year i've been alive here on this planet i know Someone said to me the other day, um, "Don't worry, Dan. when you get to 40, then everything's downhill." I said, "You start to feel everything a lot more." I said, "I'm already feeling everything right now, like everything's creaking and cracking, and He's been there for 38 years. It's a long time. So when Jesus saw him, and he knew he had been ill for a long time, again, Jesus didn't know this guy. He hasn't had a cup of tea with him already. But he's already known his situation. Some of you have been here today, you just need to understand Jesus knows, he sees, he hears, he understands where you're at. He says, he'd known that he would have been ill for a long time, he asked. He asked this question, it's a bit of an unusual kind of, kind of question. He says, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? And it's an interesting question that I want to talk about here this morning, because what Jesus is saying is, do you want to get better? And kind of the obvious question is, of course I want to get better. What a dumb question to ask in some ways, some people would actually argue. But he comes and says this, interestingly, and he says, do you want to see change in your life? Almost, do you give me permission to be able to move? And this morning, church, I want to be able to address this topic or address this talk thought here this morning. Do we want to change? The hallmark of being a Christian is there's transformation in our lives, and I'm I'm concerned for a church, not our church, but for a church that never wants to change from the situation that they're in. And I believe Jesus is coming asking this question here today of, do we want to get well? Do we want to change here this morning? And this man says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to be able to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. This man had been waiting to be placed in a pool of water for whoever knows how long. And Jesus comes in a moment, transforms his life. Because it says, instantly, not later on, instantly, the man was healed. He was rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle, I love this, it happened on a Sabbath. Jesus went around, causing up a stir everywhere he went. I kind of love that about Jesus. So the Jewish leaders, they objected. They said to this man who was cured, get this, this, this man, they're not focusing on the fact that this man has been cured after 38 years of being uh, lame. They say, hold on, whoa, 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 you can't work on the Sabbath, they say. The law doesn't allow you to carry this sleeping mat. You see, what had happened, this is, it, it makes me almost laugh now, but uh, instead of focusing on the miracle, instead of focusing on the healing that took place, they're focusing on the fact that he's carrying a mat during this time. You see, what would happen is that uh, the Sabbath was it was a holy day. We spoke about the Sabbath earlier this year, and it was a day of rest. And so the, the, the Jewish leaders, they basically had to make, uh, make rules around what you can do and what you can't do. And they had literally a rule that said, do not carry a mat around and so when this guy is carrying a mat around, it's causing a stir because instead of looking to the miracle, they see the mat in his hands. And he says to him, um, says, but, he, but he replied, The man who had healed me told me to pick up his mat and walk. Verse 12, Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. So there's those bony, pointy fingers saying, You tell me what's going on right now. He says, the man didn't know for Jesus, I'll call him Ninja Jesus right now, Ninja Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now that you are well, watch this, it's profound, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. This is kind of language that's kind of confronting here this morning. He's making this connection that now that you've been set free, do what Galatians 5 says and stay free. In other words, there's some responsibilities that we need to take along the journey to be able to remain free. I've got, I got a friend who, um, less of a friend, more, I know of this testimony of, of a guy who was, was, had a strong addiction to something. He has a strong addiction to a substance. And what had happened that a number of years ago, he radically met Jesus. His life has turned around. Even the photos of him, you could see a, a remarkable difference in who he became. And he had he'd lived a life for, for a good two or three years where his life was transformed. It was different. There was a, there was a marketable difference about who he was. He had changed. There was, there was a willingness for God to do something in his life. But you know what happened? He got caught up progressively in a wrong kind of crowd, the crowd that once took him in a certain kind of direction. And what had happened over a period of time, he actually found himself slipping into these old habits. Before long, he was taken by the bondage of this addiction again. And his life was completely transformed for the bad this time again. And what God is saying, there are some things that we can do right now. Jesus is saying, hey, stop the sinning, turn away from it, repent of it, and we'll be able to find ourselves living in freedom, he says. And then it says, then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Which we're not going to get into today, but he goes back to the people who are pointing the bony finger and says, hey, the guy that you're looking for is Jesus. And it's interesting to me that the man that was actually freed from his ailment was actually then the man that pointed the officials to where Jesus was going. And it's kind of a sad kind of end to the story if you focus on that here today. You know, this morning, I'm, as we talk about more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I want to speak into this topic. And I guess it's probably less of a topic. It's probably more of a question Here's here. Is this, of, do we want to change? And even in worship just then, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, maybe a better way of asking that, Dan, is are we willing for God to move? Individually. Are we willing for husbands and wives to move in their families again? Are we together willing for God to move in our church? We ever want to get to this place where we become so stale and crusty that we actually don't allow the Holy Spirit to move. And again, I believe this morning is a moment where we together both as individuals, but corporately declare, God, we're hungry for you to move. We want to know more about you. We want to become more like you. And this is our heartbeat, as our vision, that we indeed follow Jesus, that we'll become like him, and that we may indeed go and do what he did. Are we willing to give God permission to work in our lives? See, God's described us as him being the the master potter, and we are his clay, for us to be moulded, into the likeness of him. Jesus, he has a lot to say about this, actually. If you read into John chapter 15, he talks about what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. He says, there's fruit to who my disciples are. You can see it. There's transformation that takes place. Jesus actually, he has a moment where he goes and yells down a tree, (laughs) a fig tree. He goes and says, curse be this fig tree. Why? Because there's this tree that looked like a fig tree, It had the structures, it had the leaves, it had the branches, it had the shade. But what was lacking was that there was no fruit to the tree. There was no transformation, there's no no kind of progress about the tree being made. And what Jesus actually does, he curses the tree and the next day the tree's dead. It's kind of crazy. But what he's saying here is that we, as transformative people, we need to be people exhibiting fruit in our life. It's not us bearing the fruit. It's from remaining in the vine that we are able to produce the fruit that he's called us to produce. And my hope and my prayer that we can do that here this morning in our lives. The very fruit of following Jesus is that there is transformation in our lives. And each one of us, my prayer is that we would have the testimony of, I was once this, but I'm now this. And that's my prayer that people start saying that more and more and more. Again, not a a fake kind of manufacture, but there's a natural kind of byproduct of following Jesus. We have this testimony of like, I remember what it was like then, but now because of Jesus, because of God working in my life, I am now this. Most people love the idea of change. (laughs) They like talking about change. But then when it comes to doing the change... It sometimes is a very different kind of story. Ever I met those people in uh, in spring, I'm going to get ripped for summer. I'm going to have the most ripped body for summer. I'm going to go to the gym every day. In fact, I'm going to go two times a day. I'm going to eat keto. I'm going to have I'm going to have my zoodles and I'm going to have my my cabbage. And next minute they're they're on the couch. <laughs> they're, they're watching The Biggest Loser on TV and, uh, and, and they're eating a bag of chips. Like, this idea of change, it can be confronting. It can be hard. But again, I want us to be, I, I want to be a past that leads us into a place where we have this conviction, this challenge, not just to stop at what's comfortable, but indeed be shaped and molded into things that God's calling us to do. And the question for us today is, is do we want to change? Do we want to change? A, a big thought, if you're taking notes here this morning, is change starts with you, but it ends with God. Change starts with you, but it ends with God. Change starts with you, but it ends with God. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you may indeed come and move mightily in this place. God, we pause. We separate some time right now to be able to lift up your name above every other name. We come around the Word, your truth, your living Word. And God, we pray that it may indeed shape us here in this place. We pray that we will be followers of Jesus, ones that exhibit fruit in all that we do. Help us, I pray. Help me, Holy Spirit, now. In Jesus' mighty name. I've got a question for us here today. Uh, And the question is, have you ever been stuck? Have you ever been stuck? Even right now, think in your heads about, have I ever been stuck beforehand? I'm someone who hates being stuck. I'm the kind of guy that even in my work days, very rarely will you find me in my office for eight hours during the day. Um, Jen comes and she's involved in the in the operations here on a Tuesday and she'll testify the fact that sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm not here. It doesn't mean I'm not working, it means I'm actually at a cafe meeting somebody or I like to change my environments around the place. I don't like being kind of cooked up in a room all day, every day. Other people are different, they're kind of very comfortable with that, but for me it's not the case. And uh, I don't like being stuck. I like being a member. One of the most awkward things I mean, awkward conversations, I mean, stuck in awkward conversations. Everyone had ever been there beforehand. Yeah, like... Um, I've even said to Ali one time, it wasn't for a church thing, it was a family thing, but I said, Al, call me in five minutes, because that's my out. Because uh, this is going to be an awkward conversation right now. Help me out right now, okay? And, uh, but I, they, they, you can find yourself sometimes being stuck. I hate being stuck in traffic. Traffic drives me insane, like literally. And I find myself um, the other day, I'm driving down the Norellon Road, and I had this moment where I, I realized that, my daughter has picked up a really poor trait of mine. You know, sometimes kids' parents can like, be reflective of who you are. Well, I had this moment where I felt, holy moly, I've, I've, I've got, this is a bad moment right now. Why? Because we're in traffic, and there's this person that cut in front of me, and I might not necessarily have spoken all that well of this person, and uh, this person is like, and I probably, let's, they're a goose, okay? I call them a the goose, and uh, they come in front of me, there's no wave, there's no kind of thanks for letting me in kind of thing, um, I think, Come on, guys! we are got to teach our kids like put your hand up and wave with a finger or a finger um, or the wave. Um, make sure that there's the right kind of finger that goes up. Um, and we can find ourselves thinking that the access into the right. But you know, I hate being stuck. And old mate, my daughter in the back, she she yells out not just like a like a, like a little passive kind of uh, but like she yells out. Come on, mate, get out of the way. <laughs> and I thought to myself instantly, thinking. Oh, no, Dan. Oh, no, what have I done? I hate being stuck. She hates being stuck. This morning, I came here just before nine o'clock. Ivy was like, Dad, I want to come early. And I thought, oh, because you want to be in the house of God. Isn't that cute? And she goes, I just don't want to be late. I want to be be here early. I want to be here early. It's fantastic. She hates being stuck too now. I hate it. Ali shared this story a little bit a couple of weeks ago on, on how um, we went to Vietnam and we went through these, uh, well, we, I went through these, uh, these tunnels that they had created during the Vietnam War. You go to this place and there's like AK 47s that you can shoot. And I was like, how good is this? I'm, I'm, I'm blasting away bullets in, in, into, the, into the wilderness. I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger, in alien, just like just firing off into the wilderness. But you can go into this sort of place where there's like these tunnels that you can sort of crawl through. When I say crawl, I'm talking like commando crawl. The only problem is that these tunnels, they were built for Vietnamese men, not Dan-sized men. (laughs) And so I'm finding myself trying to crawl through these tunnels. But what's worse is that um, you're like a a worm going through these tunnels with someone in front of you, someone someone behind you. And there's a lady in front of me. I think Ali told the story. A lady in, in front of me, she literally starts having a massive panic attack. Like crazy panic attack. Like she's manifesting underneath the the, 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 the ground in front of me. She's kicking up the dirt. It's going into my face. I I, I had to grab her leg. I said, lady, pull it together. (laughs) I wanted to rip her feet off. I thought, if one more bit of dirt goes in my mouth, you're going to cop it, lady. I'll tell you what. And so I'm just trying to crawl through and I was stuck. And what felt like an eternity, we're under these grounds, WHS, guys, does not exist in Vietnam. I can tell you, I'm telling you right now. Anyway, we're stuck under there. I had like a counseling, like pastoral moment under in the pitch black, the dust going everywhere, and we calm and lay down and she's able to get out. But I hate the idea of being stuck. You know, as much as we all hate being stuck, I think we can all actually conclude the fact that we'd hate to be stuck in pain stuck in pain that we cannot escape, stuck in a situation that we don't necessarily feel like we have the tools for or the equipment for or the ability to get out. And I know personally for some of you guys here this morning, you can very much relate to this man in the Bible who felt stuck. He was stuck in his pain. He was stuck for 38 years in this place. And my heart here this morning is that you may be able to experience a touch of God in your life. The nature of being stuck is we often ask the question, will it ever change? Or well, when will it ever change? I remember in my, my early 20s being very, very, very single. <laughs> and uh, this is the joke, by the way. It's okay. Don't, don't even feel, feel sorry for me. Um, I had a long, like I had an ugly mullet before. It was actually cool to have a mullet these days. Um, Marcus, stand up and turn around. There you go. Give it a little bit of a, a flick there. Where, where you go. <laughs> I had that, but just it wasn't cool at the time. Um, and I remember thinking, God, are, are you calling me to become a monk here? Um, I feel like very, very single for a while. And I, I wasn't too sure whether my situation would ever change. And I obviously met my beautiful, beautiful wife, Allie. <laughs> Woo! But if his man here, he, he was stuck in pain. He was stuck in not just pain, he was stuck in isolation the Bible says that he had no one to be able to help him to be able to get to the pool. And even in the last two weeks, I have been a, a pastor who has been filled with an emotion of such pride, of such... just been overwhelmed by the generosity of so many people in this room. And I won't share their testimony. Some of them are here here today, and they all know who this is. But there's been a, a bit of a crisis moment in one of our families in our church. And I've seen literally scores of people come around this family whether it be our kids' ministry offering support to their kids, our youth ministry reaching out to their youth. We've seen prayer team gather around and rally around this individual family. We've seen families literally cooking meals, cleaning houses, picking up their kids, dropping them off. There has been moments here where people who have been connected, this is the key, the power of being connected, there's been a a, a tribe of people come around and this is family. It's the power of this. I want a quick little shout-out to people like the Henderson's and like the Carreros and like the Ranshaws and some of these families and the Ruth Towers for the prayer team and, and, again, these ministry points. As a pastor looking on and seeing these things in action, this is what it means to be family in a time of crisis, in times when we can actually be... But the power is that they were connected. And this man, he wasn't necessarily in that same place. He was isolated. He was away from people. This is why it's so important to be on a team serving because you get around other people. This is why it's important to be part of a church at home because you have the opportunity to be able to, to share story and build connections and be able to rally on in support of one another. This is why it's so important to find ourselves in relationship with other people. But this man didn't necessarily have that. To give you a little bit of context in terms of this actual pool, we talked about this, the pool of Bethesda. And this pool, um, it was a special kind of pool, and it had sort of these coverings um, around the pool. And so if you picture like a a quadrangle when you were at school as a kid, and having like these quadrangles all around, sort of these these coverings all around kind of the area. There's a pool in the middle, and it had the, the coverings around. And it says in the Bible that this pool was near the sheep's gate. Now, this sheep gate was actually the place where um, before an animal would be sacrificed at the temple, they would first come and get cleansed, and they will stored somewhere. And so the sheep would come, or the owner of the sheep, they would come, and they'd often wash the sheep in this area. And so there's probably bits of lovely sheep that's floating around in the pool at the time and, and whatnot. And then they'll be cleaned, and they'll come into the temple, and they'd find themselves that sheep that would let them be uh, sacrificed. And so um, we, we sort of get this bit of a setting here, and, and this this, uh, this, this pool was special because there was a belief that it had a, a, a supernatural kind of power to it, whereby um, every now and then there would be an angel that would come and stir the water. Now, as I've been doing a bit of research, I actually I looked into this, and this is actually a natural spring that would take place. And there's a belief that many, many theologians have is that there actually wasn't necessarily a, 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 an angel that came. It was that more of a superstition that people would actually find themselves following. And they found themselves in a sort of place where there was a hope that the, the people would come and they'd, they'd be under these coverings and they would hope to be able to be healed. And for this man, he laid there for, for many, many times. And what I love about this story lots is that Jesus, he wasn't the kind of guy that just went around the concerns, around the, the worries. He actually went to them. This pool wasn't necessarily like a like a macker's car park that you go and hang out when you're a young adult. No, it was the kind of place where you would you would kind of avoid. It wasn't a place where socialites would come and find themselves hanging out in. It was for the sick. It was for the lame. It was for the people with concerns and challenges for the beggars of the world. And it was a kind of place that people would come and gather. But what I love about Jesus, instead of going around the problem, he went straight to it. And he went and had come into a place. And this is Jesus. This is the same Jesus that would be found at the well of the hurting, rejected kind of Samaritan woman. This is the same Jesus that when the, when the official son comes and says, hey, I need a miracle for my son. Would you come and help my son? He doesn't go away in the opposite direction. He says, your son may be healed in Jesus' mighty name. He's the same guy that when Nicodemus comes he's hungering and thirsting after truth and he comes instead of rejecting him because of his position as a religious leader he comes and says you know what I can see your heart I know that you want to have truth in your life here is the truth and he finds himself going to people and this is our story too this is this is my story that Jesus came to me in my mess he came to be able to bring change so I've got three points three simple points here this morning I want to be encouraged with. The first one here is, Jesus is both the compassion that we want. Most of us here, we want compassion. Very few people reject compassion. Jesus is both the compassion we want, but also the solution we need. Verse 3 says, The crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, they lay on the porches, one of the men. And he asks this person who'd been laying here for 38 years, would you like to get well? I've been married now for, for 14 years to my beautiful life. I know, I know, I know. It's pretty impressive. How does she do it? I don't know. But I've discovered when Ali comes to me and sort of says, hey, I've got this, this thing or I've got this issue or I've got this problem, um, she generally would prefer for me to take more of a scenic route around to where I think it should go as opposed to just going to the direct route. And uh, a few husbands out there nodding their heads, uh-huh, yeah, speak it, brother. Come on, come on. Yeah, he goes, hey, Dan, I'm feeling really tired. I'm feeling really tired. I'll say, well, go to bed earlier. Hey, just go to bed earlier. In my head, I'm like, yeah, that's a good answer. That'll that'll solve the problem. Husband of the year right there. Like, what's that? But what I've missed in the process is a journey of compassion, of understanding, of, hey, what's sort of making you tired right now? What's going on? Usually it's because I'm not doing something. I need to be able to fix something up and (laughs) organize myself better but there's a compassion that can go along with it as well as the solution. And what Jesus does, he's both the the, the compassion throughout all the Gospels we often see, particularly before any miracle make is happening. It says, Jesus, he came in what? He came in compassion. He sees where people are at. He understands where people are at. He understands the fact that there's people hurting and and, and got concerns in the world. And and that's what he does when he comes to the pool. He, He sees this man. He understands what's going on in his world. But not only is he just the person who who has compassion, he's also the solution that we need. Jesus is both compassionate and our solution. Both compassionate and solution. You know, to be truly compassionate, often to have the empathy for it, to be able to walk in someone's shoes beforehand, it helps you a lot. And I love the fact that this is Jesus This is Jesus that understood all pain, all suffering. This is Jesus that whilst fully God, he became also fully human. That whilst he was fully divine and eternal, he became flesh. And he understood what it meant to to walk the earth. And it's a powerful thing that we find ourselves in worshipping Jesus, that not only is fully God, but also fully human. And I love the scripture that comes from Hebrews 4 verses 14 and 16. It speaks of the fact that he understands where we're at right now. And it says that now we now that we know what Jesus has, sorry, what we have, Jesus, this high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He has been through weakness, testing, what to say he' is experienced it all. Everything that you've ever gone through and will go through, Jesus knows. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. Let's, so let's walk right up to him and get what He is so that we, are, so we can get what He's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. What I love about the encounter in John 5 is that Jesus, he meets with this man, this lame man. He meets him not just to show compassion not just to be able to pat him on the shoulder, but he he went there not just to keep him there, but to lead him out of it. And this man, he meets Jesus, encounters his compassion, and he's he's healed with a testimony from his presence. Jesus is both the compassion, but also the solution that we need. And church, let us be that same model as well. We talk about what it means we follow in Jesus. This is how we become like Jesus. Our world is desperate for compassionate individuals. People who have a heart of empathy to others, to show kindness, to not be quick to judge, but rather to actually it's often a it's a it's a bringer of people together when compassion takes place. And I love the Samaritan Samaritan story, the Samaritan man. He showed compassion to this man. And a compassion it's it's first exhibited, but it's always felt. This man, he was taken from the side of the road. He was given a donkey to ride on. He was placed in a hospital to get get fixed up. Compassion always has a response. Let us be the church that does that. Number two, um, G, uh, so the decision to change always starts with us, but the power to change it comes from Jesus. Jesus, more often not, he operates in partnerships. He operates in a way where he won't twist our arm to have to work. Just about every miracle that takes place that was first initiated by a step of faith from an individual. We talk about the jars of water that got turned from water to wine. Someone had to be able to bring those, wa- those jars across. We talk about the fact that there was a, the fish and the bread that were multiplied to be able to feed the 5,000 plus people. Someone had to be able to say, hey, here's my lunch. Please use it. The woman who reached out to touch the cloak of Jesus, she was healed after there's a pushing through the crowds and reaching out to be able to touch the cloak. We find ourselves in one of my favorite scenarios and scenes, and I'm going straight to Peter when I go to heaven and I ask about the situation, is when Jesus is walking on the water and we see this, what I'll call now crazy man, throw his legs over the side of the boat thinking, I'm going out to see and meet Jesus. There's an act of faith that often Jesus will indeed respond to. Change starts with us. Power to change comes from Jesus. But I've discovered that some people simply, they don't want to change. It's often easier for them to remain where they are. Church, can I be your pastor here this morning and encourage us, let's not get too hard and crusty where the ability to be our change, to be molded by God, takes place in our lives. Questions we might have, do we want to release the forgiveness that we know that God is asking us to release? Do we want to have that attitude changed in our life to represent and respond, uh, resemble more like Jesus? Do we want to break that power of addiction that might be obvious, that might be very secret? Do we want to strengthen our marriage to a place where our kids raise up in godly marriages? Do we want to become more and more present as a mom and a dad? Do you want to be able to start, stop surrounding yourself with those people who you know are actually toxic for your soul? Make the decision to be able to move away from that. Do you want to start putting God first with your finances? Do you want to be able to commit to godly relationships? Do you want to be able to start showing compassion more? Do you want to be able to have a fruit of of kindness that takes place in our lives? Do you want to surrender, like we sang here today, all of we are to be able to follow after Him? These are questions that have actual work attached to them. But when there's a heartbeat that we have, God, I, I want to become more and more like you. We find ourselves in places where the change indeed takes place. Why? Because we start it and God finishes it. We live in a day and a world today where this won't be necessarily popular talk, but I want to go there anyway, where this idea of self-help has become a huge thing in our world today. And hear me loud and clear. I'm all for doing things you can. And you know, for me, I know I'm better when I go for a run. I know when I'm better when I get good enough sleep. I understand there are some practicalities there, But what's happened, I believe, is they become like an idol in our world of self-help and can actually take the attention and the power away from God. And here's a thought for us here today. If this idea or this movement of self-help is actually true, it asks the question is, if we could have actually already helped ourselves, wouldn't have we done it already? Wouldn't there be a secret source that everyone can follow that we're all suddenly okay? But the truth of the matter is that in our Trying to self help, the shortcomings are found, and what we actually need is a reliance on the power of God to be taking place in our life. You know, I, I did a bit of a Google this week and I saw like these different titles of these books of self help self-help books. I, I Googled, and one of them, The Beautiful You, A Daily Guide to Radical Self Acceptance. I thought, holy moly, what's in that one? Um, the next one is Super Better. The power to live gainfully. Okay, all right. I love this one here. The universe has your back. Transformation from fear to prosperity. <laughs> I thought to myself, the, these books are on there because they get sold, because people look for these answers. I wonder if we can be the church that are pointing people to Jesus for the answers and not these things kind of thing here. So Jesus declares, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. The decision starts with us. But Jesus has the power to be able to change. I'm going somewhere here this morning. We're almost, almost wrapping up here this morning. Number three, Jesus helps us to conquer things that once conquered us. Yes. Jesus helps us to conquer things that once conquered us. Verse 8 says, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Now, if I was the man, probably the last thing I want him to, to pick up and walk with is that mat. I've been laying on it for so long. Again, the sheep had be coming in and out all the time. It probably smelled. It probably wasn't necessarily that pleasant. But Jesus, and I really quickly wanted to say, I think for three separate reasons. First of all, Jesus knew that he would actually upset the Jewish leaders. <laughs> I, I believe that. Number two, um, it acted as a reminder to this man of this is what you were. This is who you are now. And what happened, not just for him, it became a testimony to others. Can you imagine this guy walking with his mat throughout the crowds during the time? He went, hey, aren't you that guy? And people start asking questions. There's a testimony that takes place. And here's the thing. God wants to be able to move in your life. And I'm believing that even this morning, we're going to have a time where people can come to the altar and be able to receive from Christ here this morning. And that they, he wants to move in your life. But equally, he also wants to be a testimony to other people around him. So why don't we do that right now, Matt and team? Do you want to come up to the front and uh, why don't we stand to our feet? Let me uh, let let me start with, I guess the question I I kicked off with here is, do we want to change? Can I get maybe someone come and grab this for us? And uh, do we want to change? And again, I felt the Holy Spirit pretty clear. So are we willing for Him to move? Are we willing for Him to move here in this place? The nature of what was taking place at this time, and I mentioned beforehand that there was these five coverings that came, around, oh, um, that came around where the well was, came around where the pool was, sorry. And again, the number five in the Bible represents... law. It represents the religious nature of of the context of the scripture. And what was interesting to me is that this man who found himself perched underneath the shade of these porches, of these colonnades, they'll call them, it's like that was actually, in a sense, where he was actually sitting underneath the law. He was sitting underneath something that didn't necessarily have the power to actually heal him. See, Jesus came along not to be able to abolish the law. He came in a place where he actually came to fulfill the law. It was interesting to me that this man who was spent much of his life in the shade of these porches would come to a place where when Jesus comes along, the fulfillment, in a moment his life was transformed. In a moment he was healed. In a moment things were very much different. And I wonder if here this morning we can find ourselves in a place and again, I, I placed myself on this altar on Thursday because I knew I needed it. I knew I needed to have this place of God. I'm willing and wanting for you to be able to come and move in my life again. And my prayer here this morning is that we'll have people, mums and dads, husbands and wives in a place where they saying, God, I'm hungry for you to be able to move and here's the thing, this man had an obvious healing point that took place. And for some of us here, again, I know your story and there is more of an obvious kind of, I want to come to be an experienced God because only God can change in this particular area. But for others here, your, your healing point or the area of change that you know might need to take place, it might be a little less obvious. It might be, God, i not I want to be reminded of your great intimacy again, your great presence. My encouragement this morning here, as we sing this song, we sing I Surrender. We're going to come into a place where you can come and feel the altar. Because again, I believe that what the world needs more is not more programs and not more information, but more encounters with Jesus. Maybe it's been a long time since you've come to the altar before. I encourage you, come on down. I want to pray for everyone, generically, and I lay hands on some. I pray for change to take place. And your willingness, your starting point of coming to the front will be a place where God, I believe, can actually move and testimony our flow from We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.